Welcome to Practical Christian Living. I think you ought to pay your pastor enough that he can reach out and take the check. I think you ought to be blessing the people that he goes out to. In fact, when I talk to pastors, one of my pet peeves with pastors is that they feel that, that the people in their church owe them to pay for them. I think the pastor ought to pay when he goes out. That's what I think. I think that he ought to be the one to bless them. He's the one that's their servant. They're not his servant. How much should a pastor get paid? What's too much and what's too little? While everyone's going to have an opinion on this sometimes controversial topic, we take a look at what the Apostle Paul has to say in his letter to young Pastor Timothy, as well as how church leaders should conduct themselves. With a continuation of our teaching last time out of 1 Timothy 5, 17-25, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. When a husband says to his wife, you're supposed to obey me, now you're done. All right, your role as a leader in your family is finished because you're not really leading anymore. And the same thing is true with the pastor. If a pastor has to stand up and say, you guys need to listen to me, you're done, put a fork in yourself, go on and do something else because you've lost the respect of your people. It's like when you're marriage counseling and the woman comes in and she knows all the passages that talk about what the husband's supposed to do. And then the husband gives you all the passages about what the wife's supposed to do. It seems that neither of them know what they're supposed to do, but they know what the other person's supposed to do. A lot of times pastors know how the body's supposed to treat them or the body knows how a pastor's supposed to act, but we don't know how it is that we're supposed to act with each other. So if there is sin that is not severe, then we give some grace, don't we? Because we want grace. We don't want to be judged on those same levels. If the guy who was judging this guy because he missed an appointment with him, do you want to be judged on every appointment that you miss? Do you want it to be said of you that if you miss an appointment that you're ungodly and that you're unfit for ministry? So we just want to treat someone the way that we want to be treated. We, we want to judge because we don't want to judge in a godly way because in the manner that we judge, the Bible says we're going to be judged. However, not only is there sin that is petty, but there's also sin that is severe. One more thing before we get into severe sin, look at verse 18. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while he treads the grain and a laborer is worthy of his wages. Now I'm glad this verse is here because there are those in some denominations that believe that pastors should not be paid. They believe that if you're pastoring a church, then you shouldn't be paid. Uh, you should get a group of guys together that are working other jobs and these guys should share in it. You should never have a guy paid. But this passage says a laborer is worthy of his hire and it's good to pay your pastors. Now, how much should a pastor be paid? That's the question. There are some church boards, those that determine the pay of a pastor, that take a vow of poverty for their pastor. I don't have a problem with the pastor taking a vow of poverty if he wants to do that, but it shouldn't be done for him, all right? There are others that pay their pastors way too much. There are some men, I don't know about in Tucson, but in the United States, that make millions of dollars every year. They pastor churches and they make millions of dollars a year. And they get million-dollar bonuses, Christmas bonuses, or whatever. That's obviously too much. So there's that which is too little. There's that which is too much. And in the middle, there's a range that is acceptable. I think there will always be people that will think someone gets paid too much. And there's always people that think that a pastor gets paid too little. I like the people who think he gets paid too little. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, here's what I think. I think that a pastor should be paid enough 
that he can be, that he can provide for his family and he can be generous. He should be able to give to the poor. He should be able to give to ministry. When he goes to lunch with someone, he ought to be able to pay for that guy. Go to lunch and kind of like start reaching for the check slowly. <laughs> oh, you got it? Good. <laughs> or the old, the check comes and you start going. Oh, you got it? That's great. I think you ought to pay your pastor enough that he can reach out and take the check. I think you ought to be blessing the people that he goes out to. In fact, when I talk to pastors, one of my pet peeves with pastors is that they feel that, that the people in their church owe them to pay for them. I think the pastor ought to pay when he goes out. That's what I think. I think that he ought to be the one to bless them. He's the one that's their servant. They're not his servant. I think that when he goes in, I think when a pastor goes in to do business with somebody from their church, that he ought to pay full price. Um, I've before been doing, you know, somebody at our church says, we want to do this for you for free. And I say, please charge me. Just charge me. I tell them I'm doing okay. I don't need it for free. Please charge me. Then they go, well, we'll give you a discount. All right, I'll take the discount. <laughs> but I still think that you should never seek that. You should never go in. I think a pastor should never say something like, do you have a pastor's discount? I think it should never be said. It should never be done. There should be no such thing as that. But if that's going to be the case, then he has to be paid enough. So you want to be generous with your pastor so that he can be generous. What does that look like? It's going gonna, it's gonna to depend. It's going to depend on the church. You certainly don't want the pastoral salaries to be a drag on the church, but you want it to be enough to where the pastors are generous. So all of those things have to be taken into account. I'm glad that it's here so that those who are getting paid, like myself, uh, don't feel bad about getting paid. The work of the labor is worthy of his hire. Verse 19 do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. And I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and to the, and the elect angels, interesting phrase there, by the way, elect angels, that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Now he says, if there's an accusation against a pastor, let it be by two or three witnesses. And for those who are sinning, this is an unfortunate reality. Sometimes pastors, sometimes senior pastors, sin. Sometimes they're involved in scandalous sin. When I was 17 years old, I had left the Methodist church that I grew up in, and I'd gone to a Pentecostal church. What a radical difference between those two, by the way. In the Methodist church, our pastor wore a robe, and he came out very stoically, and he taught like this. I was in my study this week and a spider came from the ceiling and landed on my desk. And I thought, how little we are in the sight of God. That's how I taught. And I was in my teens. I'm going to the Methodist church and I was asleep. They only had 10 minute sermons. And right now, some of you guys are going, really? That would be exciting. Um, but I'd be asleep within those 10 minutes. He'd start talking. I was like, Mom. so I went to this Pentecostal church. Well, the guy that was the pastor there was a young guy. He was about 25 years old. I was 17, so he seemed old to me. And he would pace back and forth. You ever been in Pentecostal churches where they, they, they preach like that? And he preached with a rhythm. So he would be just talking about the scriptures and about God moving in your life. And he'd go back and forth like this. And he'd be like that. For a 17-year-old hyperactive kid, it was great. Yeah, yeah. Taking notes, underlining in my Bible, watching him go back and forth. I could stay in the study. Well, I came in one day. There was an older guy teaching. He was 40. Remember, everything's relative, all right? There's this older guy up there, and he's teaching. And I said um, to my friend, where's Pastor Bob? 
And they said he had an affair with his secretary and he, he quit. Now, I had firsthand experience of a scandal within a church. It was devastating. It devastated that fellowship. In fact, it almost killed that fellowship. Within six months or so, there was barely anybody that was going. It was such a devastating thing. I understand what it did in my life. I walked away from the Lord for a year after that. As he, and, and I could blame him completely. I blame him partially, but I don't blame him completely. I think there are some things that God needed to do in my life. I did not have a complete surrender to God at that point. And when that happened, here's what I said. If this is what Christianity is about, then I don't want to be a part of it. And I walked away from the Lord for a year. Those things happen. I pray that it would not happen with us. I find myself fearfully saying to the Lord, Lord, help me to never have anything like that happen in my life. I would, it would devastate me that it would happen, but it happens and it's unfortunate. When it happens, what's the right way to deal with it? I'll tell you the wrong way. We, um, we had been several years ago, we're not anymore, but we had been the regional church for Calvary chapels in Arizona. Arizona has about 50 Calvary chapels. They're independent churches, but we had a regional office here to where if they had a problem that arose or they needed somebody, uh, they could call us and we would come alongside of them to help them. Since then, that's been changed. And now the, there's no regional offices. You've just got the Calvary Chapel affiliation that handles it. So we're no longer in that role. Thank the Lord, okay? Because um, we had to deal with a lot of different situations that were not pleasant to deal with during that time. Now we can just kind of stay at home to deal with what's going on here. During that time, there was a pastor that got caught in sexual sin and his board removed him. We did not have the power to remove anybody, okay? We were just a regional office that helped churches, that's all. We didn't have the power to remove anybody. His board removed him. When it happened, he left. He got removed by his board. He got caught in the sexual sin. He got removed and he just left. The board had asked him to stay and, and, and talk to the church that week. He wouldn't do it. And so they called us and said, what do we do? And I said, I guess I'll go up there. So I got somebody to teach for me and I went up there that weekend. And I'll tell you what, it was one of the harder things for me to do, to stand in front of a body and say, they didn't know me, to stand in front of them and say, listen, your pastor entered into sin. This is the kind of sin it was. I didn't give details, but told him the basics of the sin. And I said, and he left. He didn't, he didn't want to come and talk to you guys. And so I need to tell you, and this is what we're going to do. And we're going to work with the board and try to give them some direction and try to encourage them. But folks, it was devastating. Could you imagine if you came to church this morning and there was somebody up here you didn't know and they told you Pastor Robert fell into sin? What do I think he should have done? He should have, and you can tell by the way I say this, that I'm a little bit still upset with him that he didn't do this. He should have been man enough to stand in front of those people and cry with them and tell them, I'm sorry. I did this. I'm sorry. I never wanted to do this. He should have poured out his heart to his people. He'd spent all of those years ministering to them. They had been, you, he had been used by God to touch their lives. And if anything, he should have stood in front of them and told them, you know what they would have, they would have been incredibly gracious. People are gracious. And when you pour out yourself and you ask for forgiveness, people are prone to give it. Now there would have been one or two there that would have been like, hang him, string him up. But for the most part, the people love him. Really wanted him to be restored, but he took the, any chance of that out. Once somebody does that and they're not willing to stand up in front of the people, there's no chance of restoration. We would have loved to have seen him restored to his position, but it wasn't going to happen. By the time that took place, he took restoration completely off the table by refusing to talk to the people who were there. 
Now, what does it say? By the mouth of two or three witnesses. So if there's something that goes on in a pastor's life and you see it, there needs to be an accusation by the mouth of two or three witnesses. This is to keep false accusations out of it. It doesn't mean that the accusation isn't true. It simply means you want there to be two or three that see the accusation. If there's one and the accusation is true, God's big enough to reveal it. Once that accusation is given, it says rebuke them openly, right? It says, uh, verse um, 20, those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all that the rest may fear. So that was where we could have taken this guy up in front of the body. He could have confessed his sin. We could have laid hands on him and prayed for him. And it could have ended up, I mean, being somewhat of a good thing in the end. People could have learned that there's grace and there's forgiveness and there's mercy and there's restoration. It could have ended up being a good thing. In 30 years, almost 30 years of ministry, we started in 1985. So in, in 2015, we'll be here for uh, 30 years. We've removed three pastors from our staff because of, of sin issues. Two of them would not come in front of the body because it says here, rebuke them openly. So we want the pastor that is now being removed from being a pastor to come up in front of the body for a couple of reasons. Number one, we want everyone to fear. That's what it says, to know that there are consequences to sin. But number two, we want to pray with them. As a body, we want to pray with them. We want to lay hands on them. We want to see grace and we want to see mercy. Well, two of those guys refused to do it. As soon as I let them go for the reasons that they were, the sin that they were involved in, they were out of here. The other guy did. He came up and it was very hard. We, did it on, we didn't do it after every service. We did it after the Saturday night service. We stood up in front of everybody. I taught and then I brought him up. And I said, he's been caught in this sin and he's been involved in this sin and this is what it is. It was very hard, okay? It was one of those hard moments. Uh, we then moved him into the area of maintenance where he went from being a pastor to digging ditches. <laughs> He dug, you know, tree wells and worked out in the sun. And, and within a year and a half, he was restored and back as a pastor again. It was an awesome thing to see. And again, I understand the hearts of people that are full of forgiveness. We want to see God do good things in people's lives. We've failed. All of us have failed. And we want to see God restore through that failure. So you rebuke in front of all that they might fear, but also for the sake of the one that sinned because you want to see them come back into restoration. And listen, if a pastor is going to minister publicly, when he sins, he should deal with it publicly. He should just deal with it to the people that are in front of him. I wish it never happened. I wish there were never scandals in churches. But when there are, the fallout from it can be minimized if it's handled in a proper way. All right. So then it goes on to say, finally, verse 22, do not lay hands on anyone hastily nor share in another person's sin, keep yourself pure. Number one, don't lay hands on anyone too hastily. I'll take this in two different applications. Number one, when a pastor's caught in sin or falls into sin or confesses his sin, don't respond too hastily. Allow all of your ducks to get in a row. Okay, there's time to deal with it. Make sure everything gets dealt with. Number two, don't share in someone's sin. We have a tendency to wanna be gracious. So when we see a pastor on, let's just say a pastor on our staff and you see him involved in a sin, you want to be gracious so you don't tell me about it. This, is, this has happened. There's one of our pastors years ago, one of the ones I told you that we had removed before. And um, he was taking advantage of people financially here in the church. He was borrowing money from them and not paying them back. There are a few other things that were happening financially. Uh, and people in the church knew about it, but they didn't want to tell me because they felt like they were tattling on him. And so he was allowed 
to go around and continue to take advantage of people until he took advantage of one lady who was really poor. She's just impoverished. She was here and she was impoverished and he took money from her. And, um, and I got news from it from somebody outside the church. They called and they said, one of your pastors has taken money from this gal, said he'd give it back and he won't give it back to her. And she's poor. And I said, who is it? And she said, I won't tell you. I said, please tell me. She said, I won't tell you. I said, tell me. She said, no, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> so I got all the staff together and I said, I just got a call. And this has happened. I want to know who's the one who did it. Everybody's like, no, not me. You, you, was it you? Not me, not me, not me. Later on, I found out it was one of those guys that said that it wasn't them at all. There were people then when we let him go, I got a lot of people coming up to me. Oh yeah, this happened to me with them and this happened to me with them. And, and uh, he'd even gone over to someone's house and raided their medicine cabinet and took some of their, their drugs out of the medicine cabinet. And I thought, and I told people, had you told me what he was doing, then I could have dealt with it much earlier. Don't run around and tattle on him. Don't run around and gossip about him, but come to those who are in the position of authority and tell them. If it's one of our pastors on staff, come and tell me. If it's me, go to the men that I answer to, but go and take care of it. Because if something's going on, especially, sometimes here's what happens in churches. There's something with one of the pastors that's sexual in nature. Maybe they get involved with someone in the church or they seduce someone in the church or they abuse their position, but someone doesn't want to tell on them so they don't answer it. So it continues on in a church. And I think that's sharing in their sin here. I think it needs to be told. It's hard, okay? It's difficult. You're going to maybe have difficulty facing them, but it needs to be said. Don't you agree? So that you can protect others that are there. These things are to, to take money from people. Um, even to, uh, to me, a pastor should never borrow money from anybody that's in their church. If our pastors are struggling financially, they can come to us. There's always that door open. If they need money, they can come to us. We'll give them an advance on their paycheck. We'll give them money if they need it out of our benevolence fund. Uh, we'll help them, okay? When you guys are being ministered to by the staff, they're with you in the darkest days of your life. They're with you during times that you're rejoicing. And then when they say to you, boy, I'm really struggling, I need some money, you wanna help them out, don't you? You wanna do whatever you can do. If I went to you and said, you know what? I need, I need some money personally. You guys would probably wanna help me out. I said, probably, because there's some of you are like, no way, I wouldn't help you out, what are you talking about? <laughs> but here's the, the thing, we love each other. We've got a special, unique relationship that's got a bond by God, that God has given me a role as pastor in your life. And you feel like you would help me out with anything. There's a lot of stuff you would do for me. But if I took advantage of you in that way, if I borrowed money from you, that would be a breach of pastoral ethics. Pastors, just like there are ethics for lawyers, ethics for doctors, ethics for realtors, there's ethics for pastors. That is a breach of pastoral ethics. And I say that to say, if any of our pastors ever do that, tell me about it, all right? I wanna know. It doesn't mean I'm gonna fire them. It means I'm gonna threaten to fire them if they ever do it again, all right? So come and tell me. Now, don't share in their sin. And then verse 23, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and for your frequent infirmities. He now turns to personal with Timothy. Timothy obviously has a stomach problem. He says, don't drink only water, but use a little wine. Earlier he had said in this book, elders are not to be given to wine. So he had said elders aren't to drink. And now he tells Timothy, who's an elder, go ahead and drink some. So people say, well, what's up with that? And I've even had guys say, see, he told Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach, so it's okay for me to have a, a you know, glass of wine as an elder. Uh, yes and no. 
First of all, they did not have a pure water source, okay? I don't know that we have a pure water source either. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever read what is allowed in our tap water? I was reading that the other day. There's a thing with the city of Tucson where they allow so much millions parts. It's millions in parts, but they allow a certain part of sewer to be in our water. Did you know that? You would never want to drink tap water again, huh? There's also other things that they allow in the water, certain parts. Uh, it's millions of parts again, but they allow it in our water. Our water is safe to drink. At least we think it is. At least for, <laughs> we hope it is. They didn't have a pure water source like that. They didn't know what was in their water. There were amoebas in their water. There were bacteria in their water. And so if you used a little wine and you put it in the water, the alcohol in the wine would kill whatever was in the water. And so it was a way to purify it. So when Paul says, don't drink only water, but use a little wine, he's telling him to purify his water with the wine. So when you say, hey, I can go out and drink because you told Timothy to have some wine, put it in context. And if you really want to do that, then add a little bit of wine to your water, okay? But um, obviously, you're trying to justify things. So then verse um, 24. For some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But those of some follow them later. Now remember, the context is pastors who are caught in sin. So some guys, their sins are evident. Sometimes their sins are not known till later. But it's all going to be known. That's Paul's point. Listen, the Bible says... God's not mocked. Uh, what is man sows, he will reap. And that which you do in private is going to be revealed publicly one day. The same thing with good works. Verse 25, likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident. Those who are otherwise cannot be hidden. In other words, there are good works that are seen and there are good works that are hidden. And um, God will be the ultimate judge of that. Now, in conclusion, I want to say, first of all, I'm really glad that this is here. And I'm really glad that I've had the opportunity to share this passage with you. When I first kind of covered this as I was going through my book, into you know, the book of Timothy and making my different studies I was going to cover, I thought I can just tag this to the earlier part of the chapter because I didn't want to get up in front of you guys and say, this is how you're supposed to treat me. But then I thought, you know what? It's good for us to know. Not only good for us to know, but it's good for us to know when God moves us around. Some of you guys might find yourself in another church. Some of you guys, God may move you to another town. You've got to find another church. And it's good for us to know how we're to treat those that are ministering to us and what's expected of those who are ministering to. So um, we're done with that. Stand with me, would you? How you like that for a conclusion? We're done with that. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you again for all that you are continuing to do in each one of our lives. We are, we're blessed that you have taken time in your word to give us the conduct of pastors and two pastors within the church. And Lord, we really wish that there didn't have to be a passage on how you treat pastors that fall into sin, but we know the reality. It happens. And we pray for, first of all, we pray for the pastors here in this church. We lift ourselves and them up to you. We pray, Lord, that you would keep us from sin. Help us to walk rightly before you. And if ever we begin to stray, may we identify it quickly, repent and turn from it, that we would never see a scandal here at this church. Lord, we pray that you would take the things that we've learned today and just help us to understand the importance of the, the role of the pastor who is a servant to the body that he serves. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.